Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We continue the sci-fi extravaganza on Zack on Film this week with the 1956 special effects tour de force with Forbidden Planet. Interesting. Interestingly, you might as well just get this out of the way. Yeah. No theremin was ever used in the making of Forbidden Planet. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a popular instrument. You would never have any idea. Well, when we, <laughs> when we talk sci-fi yeah. and we talk about... And we talk about that kind of synthesized electronic music of that day. Yeah. Most people think of the theremin and waving your hand in front of this antenna and changing the pitch, the tone, and the cycle of of a sound to create music. But in this case... At, le- at least nerds think that. But in this case, it's not the case. Yeah. You know, there was this guy who just invented a bunch of circuitry, mm-hmm. hardware, and was flipping switches and dials to do it. Yeah, I don't remember what what it said in the credits at the beginning of the film, but it was like electric, electronic electric, music wizard. Uh, so, but it said something about electronic at- atmosphere or something. Yeah, something it was like something, that. It was something yeah. really strange. And then you, you don't really understand. You've never seen that title in a film before. Well, but part you of get that, 20 minutes in the film, like, what is this music that is going on in the background all the time? So part of that is because they didn't want to pay some union dues on that oh, music. Oh, seriously? Yeah. So they said, they didn't say music composed by, they mm-hmm. said electronic instrument or whatever the whatever the phrasing that the weird tonalities electric tonalities created by so they wouldn't have to pay a union due on that oh man which is crazy so zach um run us down the uh, story of forbidden planet so the story of forbidden planet is one that i enjoyed uh humans are sent on this mission to I, i think the objective was to uh recover a downed human Earth-bound human place, a spaceship on this planet. Uh, they get to this uh, planet, and there's only one lone survivor of this uh, these Earth people who found this planet, and they're wiped out mysteriously. And mm-hmm. uh, his name is Morbius. 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 Yes, Doctor Morbius. And he tells this grand tale of how everyone died, and there was this great race before on the planet, and they were millions of years ahead of uh earth's intellect and how we've developed uh and but then they started slowly dying and dying and now they're all gone and here is my daughter and uh then bad stuff starts happening but before they land on the planet he warns them don't come because like don't come here it's right it's bad uh bad stuff starts happening and they dig down and they find more about this past and all these crazy people and they do some soul searching and they find that the monster is inside the soul and uh and they leave in a nutshell <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah so what had happened was the the ship hadn't crashed they were they were sent to that planet to colonize it oh, and okay. when they hadn't heard from them they sent out the crew mm-hmm, uh captain mm-hmm. by Leslie Nielsen and they get there and they're expecting canals and dams and cities and they're like hey there ain't nothing here. Oh, that's right, because they're doing the little scan yeah, of the yeah. planet. They don't find anything. Yeah. So, uh, how many of you, this is the first time you've seen the movie? Uh, this is raised. the first time I've seen it the whole way through. Zach, first for you. Hand. Matthew? Yeah. Same for me as Rodrigo. I've seen chunks of it, but I've never sat down and watched it chronologically. This is a crazy, crazy, crazy-ass film. The yeah. first time I saw it was like in 
mid to late 90s when they finally released it widescreen on DVD, although it had been out in VHS, and I think I had seen chunks of it in VHS in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they when I got my first DVD player, one of my early ones when they released it was the ultra widescreen version of this. And I was just like, holy crap. And the reason why I tracked it down was uh, back in the day I used to do 3D animation work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was this guy that took a snippet from uh, Forbidden Planet of Andy Francis saying, it's okay, you can come out now. And he had animated lip synced. And this was still in the early days of human. This was before Toy Story. So when people saw that, they were like, oh, flipped out. And then I was like, what is this from? And he's like, it's from Forbidden Planet. I was like, I got to go track this movie down. <laughs> Watched it and was just amazed that here's a sci-fi film that delves into some, what is it, Jungian uh, uh, ideals. Oh, yeah. Of well, what it is. They're Freudian. Freudian. Right? Freudian. Of, Freudian uh, archetypes. Yeah. The the ego and the uh, superego. Mm-hmm. And that... <laughs> Where did I? God dang it! You guys talk about this a minute. I gotta find a quote um, that is really apropos to this movie, but um, totally modernized. What are we? So, what, do, what do you want to start? <laughs> you start wherever you want, Zach. Um. Okay, so let's talk okay, about let me, the let me, story. Let okay. me say this first sure, of all. Sure, sure, sure. I've I have had. <laughs> sorry, I wanted to get into this real quick. I have had. A forbidden poster planet hanging on my office at my real world job uh, yes. for years. I saw it every time I came in your office. Every time you came in my office, it was there. Now that I no longer work at that place, that poster framed is on um, the ledge leading down into uh, the basement. Mm-hmm. And so it's there every day. Yep. And my youngest is starting to come into, I don't know, media awareness. I don't know what it is where he's coming into this age where he's starting to really pay attention and starting to make super connections with things. Yep. Started watching this movie, and the first thing he says is, that is the movie that's on the wall by the basement. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to sit down and watch that movie with me. Mm -hmm. And from there, I wish I had a recorder because it was, (laughs) oh, my God, awesome. Mm -hmm. Of his, he's watching this movie and talking about the things that he is seeing, and it's blowing his little mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go Okay, so spring wearing off that poster, the thing I always remember is that Robbie the Robot... Mm-hmm. who is a character in this film, who is this crazy robot who is built by Morbius, who can uh, do kind of anything besides yeah. fly. Except, I think, no, he can just drive a car. Yeah. Which is cool. Uh, and even <laughs> in the description for the film on iTunes, it's like the first line is, Robbie the Robot, a, a Robbie the robot can speak 172 languages, and he's the coolest person ever. Yeah. Robbie the Robot is literally in this film for about 12 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> which like, really surprised me. But yeah, is it is a prop that costs like over a hundred thousand dollars back in nineteen fifty dollars. So that's like a million dollar prop. Yeah, so that's that's like an that's like one Apple Watch, and <laughs> and I just like why the thing was awesome. It was like a practical effect thing that was mm-hmm. really cool, especially in the movie surrounded by just like the craziest, coolest special effects, practical practical effects we've seen in any of these sci fi movies we've watched. Uh, but for him to be so heavily present in the marketing for this film, oh, yeah. and by the marketing film, the marketing okay, so for this film in 2014. This movie, you have to keep in mind that all of the sci-fi movies that we've seen to date, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, we've talked about Invaders from Mars, we talked about The Day the Earth Stood Still, yeah. those movies have aliens coming to our planet. This is the very first sci-fi movie where humans leave the planet, mm-hmm. well... Mm-hmm. Right, trip to the moon, Melier, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yes, okay. 
This is the first one where humans have a presence already in space. This is one where we are going out and exploring mm-hmm. uh, the universe. And so from that point, this is a very significant film from the aspect of they're coming to us because we're so important to we're going out there to see right. what's out there mm-hmm. because we are. I guess the way you could look at it is we are conquering. So you think that's why they had to throw Robbie in there because it's the only thing that looks different in this film. It is the thing that is very different in this film. Um, It was it was just a smart idea to to center the marketing about Robbie, and it's it's a great example of that kind of like uh, erroneous type of marketing, right? Where they're mm -hmm. like, people want to come see this killer robot, right? So uh, it's like Forbidden Planet, and Robbie is like picking up this lady who somehow is actually wearing a longer skirt than Anne Francis is actually wearing in this movie. <laughs> um, and uh, it like it looks like he's like kidnapping her or something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is not in any way what happens. And he's got no. that monster face inside of the helmet. Right, dude. right, right, right. So it seems like after you start thinking about this, it seems... Like that's the only reason he's. They even made up the Robbie the Robot characters because they needed something that looked different to actually sell it. Like, oh no, this actually is a sci-fi movie that takes place on this alien planet because you don't really see anything besides really the end monster. This movie, when it originally released, uh, bombed. It lost something like two hundred thousand wow. uh, dollars in the box that's office. Two Robbies, um, essentially two Robbies. But you spent um, like a, a tenth of your monetary unit. <laughs> you spent you spent a tenth of your budget just on the robot, and probably the other two thirds making a two thirds model of the the, the spaceship yeah. that was house. you know a full size model of that yeah. spaceship in house in a, in a set. It is no wonder you know Matthew says, well, Robbie became the most popular character. The only reason Robbie became the most popular character is because we got to find some way of recouping on this giant metal suit. Let's license him out to. Other everyone. to everyone. Let's let's license him out and let them make wind up robots. Let's license mm-hmm. him out and put him on uh, Twilight Zone. Let's put him in uh, uh, um, Lost man. in Space or Lost in Space. Well, let's put him in Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, the the B nine. Well, I guess Robbie did three appearances. In he Lost did. In space. He did appear in Lost mm-hmm. in Space. And but though B nine was created in his image by right, his creator. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's. I think we look at Robbie the Robot because Robbie the Robot was around for a was a more present in the public eye than the Forbidden Planet movie was. Forbidden Planet, after its uh, debut by 1957, it kind of went away because it was a failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next time that it surfed was, surfaced was in the late 1972 when they were making it part of a kitty matinee at movie theaters and they had it edited down to make it G-rated oh, uh, so okay. that it could see. And so here are all these kids going to the movies on a Friday, Saturday afternoon Seeing this stuff and going, oh, my God, this sci-fi movie is so freaking awesome. And it's got a robot in it. <laughs> and then suddenly that is where this resurgence of, of Forbidden Planet as a popular movie uh-huh. came Man, about. what in the world are they – this movie, 25 minutes long to cut it down for kids. And not like, like content, but just like the themes. Yeah. Like, that's well, not a kid see, movie. That's the thing. In this movie, if you – it depends on who your audience is. If yeah. you are trying to um, tell a story that appeals to kids – you're going to cut out anything that has to do with um, anything that has anything to do with sexual relations, okay, so sexual you, tension. Yeah, so you cut out that. And that's about it. I mean, you probably took well, out like 10, no, 15 you minutes. Out, you cut out the entire ending because that is like 
psychological stuff that kids well, are just going over their head. It doesn't matter if the kid doesn't understand that as long as they're not being perverted. Right. Right. So they had to they had to edit it down for a G rating to release it in that way. There's in plenty, 1970s. There's plenty of stuff like when he's like, look at this thing that they made. Look at this other thing mm-hmm. that they made. Let's point out everything in the set because it literally <laughs> cost us every dollar in the country to make this. Uh-huh. Now look at this thing. Like they can cut that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they only cut like five minutes from the movie. Yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot that they had to cut. Uh, there is another reason why Robbie is there. He's not just um, the well. Uh, the, Supposedly, I don't know if this if, if it is direct or if people have just drawn parallels, but there's a lot of parallels. Um, and it's because uh, of the um, work that Forbidden Planet is based on. That Shakespeare connection. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people make these parallels to uh, The Tempest about mm-hmm. this crew on a ship that gets uh, um, washed up on this island. And Prospero, Prospero, uh, Prospero yeah. is Prospero. basically saying... Get off my island. Don't come here. You don't want to be here. Right. And then someone falls in love with Prospero's he's, daughter. Yeah, he's got a daughter. And uh, I forget he's, what else. Well, it's been such thing. a long time since here's I've read the, here's Tempest. The thing. Um, so he's a wizard. Prospero's right. a wizard. Uh, he controls this island. Mm-hmm. He took the island away from a witch. Um, the witch had um, trapped a little fairy... Uh, and he freed the fairy, and the fairy now does what he says. So he mm-hmm. has this magical being who does what he says. Right. right. Also the in the island is the son of the witch, who's a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also falls in love with the girl and is also kind of fighting the good guys or whatever, or the protagonist. So there's like uh, the parallels are like too many to, to really <laughs> ignore because it is kind of the same story in a lot of ways. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't play out the same way, but the initial push for the story, all of the all of the characters are the same. Right. Right and, down and to the bosun. There's actually a character that they just refer to as the bosun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Rob, Robbie and Ariel in the original play play that same role as mm-hmm. kind of false lead in yep. that it, the expectation is that they're the evil force. And it turns out that they're not actually the evil force at all. They're just, you know, doing what they've basically been told to do. And it's, it, yeah, it's got to be intentional. I, I don't know if the people who wrote this intentionally told people they, that it was intentional, they, but it's got There's be. never been anything official that says right. we base this on the Tempest. Right. That's the thing to keep in mind. I'm guessing your William Shakespeare is quite high and you've got all the sonnets memorized and everything. Uh oh, no, yeah. I haven't read The Tempest, but I mean, I've I've read uh, The Tempest. I have read Shakespeare. The Tempest is not the first thing that somebody hands you to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So, it's it's above Titus Andronicus definitely, but you're going to you're going to get through a lot of stuff before somebody finally hands <laughs> yeah. you The Tempest. And it's it's kind of high-level slogging. The only Shakespeare that I know is is actually a sonnet that goes, I knew a young woman named Pat who was willing to do this or that. When she spoke of this, she meant more than a kiss. So imagine what she meant by that. I've had uh, the complete <laughs> works of William Shakespeare following Never. me around in this book. I bought it. It's, it's a very nicely bound book. Mm-hmm. And um, I bought it, I think, when I was in college for some reason. Have you, guys, yeah. have you guys ever seen the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged? No. Oh, find <laughs> it. Find it. It is hilarious. It's funny. I think I, I think bought it I because have. I watched... What was it, Henry the Fifth with uh, Brana? 
probably. Yeah. St. Yeah. Crispin's. Yes, the St. Crispin's Day speech. And I was like, well, you know what's even better than St. Crispin's Day speech is when he and um, his soon-to-be wife flirt with one another. Mm-hmm. And when you read it, it's like, it doesn't really make a whole lot of freaking sense. But when you watch those two actors yeah. play it out between them, it is like, this is the most beautiful thing in the whole wide world. And yeah. I saw that. And I was like, I've got to go out and find this. So I went and bought the complete works of William Shakespeare, complete and unabridged. And it's been following me around for 20 plus years. So, Zach, if you ever want to read some Shakespeare, <laughs> go, go online. online because it's all there. <laughs> yeah. And remember the rule of Shakespeare movies, Zachary. If it's a Shakespeare play that has a romantic entanglement, make sure that the actors are boinking in real life before you watch the movie. <laughs> or where at the time. Yes, because it's very important. Like the Taming of the Shrew is only good with with Burton and Elizabeth Taylor because they were actually banging in real life, and they took that relationship and put it in the thing. The same with Kenneth Branagh and uh, Emma Thompson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to make sure that the actors are actually into each other to really sell this stuff. No, I don't. Speaking, I don't know if if um, I don't know if uh, Annie Francis and. Um, Leslie, Leslie yeah. Nielsen had anything going in this. Leslie Nielsen, well, Leslie Nielsen in, in his later life, you could never tell what he was serious about, but I believe Leslie Nielsen said that he and Anne Francis were kind of a thing. But again, you know, this is a man who actually has a fart joke printed on his headstone, which I think is probably the, the greatest thing ever. So I'm still trying to find this quote because it's <laughs> it's it's very modern. In, in a nutshell, it basically says we are ultimately responsible for f- screwing up our own lives, sure. which is great for Dr. Morbius because he wants something so badly and he wants these people away so badly so that he can be the master of this world and the master of all the technology that he does not realize that he's the one that is responsible for his own outcome at the end of this movie and creating the monster. I mean, in a lot of ways, Forbidden Planet is the biggest, fanciest Twilight Zone episode you're yep. likely to see. <laughs> yep. And that was that was definitely intentional. This was a big influence on what Rod was doing. Yep. I mean, in it's... fact, they, they had the props from this this movie for Twilight Zone. If you watch The Invaders, the one with the little monsters, mm-hmm. that the ship that they use is the ship from Forbidden Planet. That that ship um, is pretty massive. It's like, I want to say it's like five and a half feet, six feet across the model that they used. Mm-hmm. It's big. It is big. So and cool. It, and it was actually owned by someone who had it I in their private it. private collection. And he had it hanging from the ceiling. You go into his house, there it is, hanging from the ceiling up there. And he's like, yeah, I don't have any other place to put it except hang it from the ceiling because <laughs> it's so massive. It, it's literally the size of this room. It would barely fit in this room. So he has to suspend it from the ceiling. Um, that same guy actually owns the original Robbie. Yeah. And um, God, I wish I could remember that guy's name. He's He just started collecting props and artifacts from movies. Well, fortunately, he just changed his name to Dr. Morbius. Dr. So. Morbius. <laughs> That's who it is. Yeah. His name is Jim Brucker. Um, so how many of you believe that Morbius actually created the Robbie the Robot? I believe it. Mm -hmm. You think he did? Or do you think? So the question is, did he create it or did the Krell technology 
quote unquote, make it for him and making him believe that he created it. Well, yeah, it's it's because, again, he's a linguist, right? He's a linguist. And they're like, well, how does a linguist build a super advanced Mm -hmm. uh, robot that none of us have ever had before? Well, I think there's there's definitely some number five is alive going on in this. But it's it's kind of like, how did Hank Pym build Ultron? There were other factors involved. But, yeah, I I, I believe that he actually assembled it. Yeah, so uh, he is like a, 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 a ninth level intellect, right? Uh, Morbius is after now, after, now, being exposed after being exposed to the Krell technology. To, to the Krell technology, so uh, that means that yeah, he was able to assemble Robbie either from plants that the Krell already had or from his hyper advanced brain. But mm-hmm. as we've seen. There's more to the Krell technology and influence. Right. So, yeah, I mean, he basically, you can say, well, were those, were those structures put in his brain by the machine? They very well might have been. Um, or he's just like, oh, I need to build a robot that does everything. And now I'm actually, thanks to this machine, smart enough to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, either, so, way, sure, either way, sure. I mean, and, and, and you the, do get slightly different reads out of both of those. There's but, something yeah. that I was thinking about this time around, and it's only this time around, and I did mm-hmm. some research, and there was, a, there was a novelization of this book where they went into it a little bit more detail, but the, um, I think it was the director basically said, oh, this was a hack job of this novelization, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. But in the novelization, because... Morbius creates the monster from his id, the monsters of right. the id, because the Krell technology creates everything that you want. Mm-hmm. You know, the the tiger comes out of nowhere and, you know, totally does anything that Annie Francis wants to do. There is some question of were those animals part of the ark that came and landed on this planet, the ship that landed on this planet? Or did Dr. Morbius create those animals out of his mind? Well, they explain. I, I thought they explained in the movie yeah, that, they that were, the Krell went around and got specimens from lots of different planets, they, they and that's to, why there were right. Earth animals on it, this planet. Yeah, they said, they right? said they went to Earth before right. the development of the human race. But, but what samples. if that's but that's that's Morbius's story, right? Right, right, right. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Notice, they, they could be that. I, and if I remember correctly, when they're going down the manifest, they have no record of his daughter. Right. They have the record of his wife. Right. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Annie Francis is... Was right, born that on that planet. That How do we created? know that she wasn't created by Morbius right. as a whatever? Well, when you get is into- that weird? Is that too weird to think about no, that? No. Uh, although you like the problem with those rabbit yeah. holes is that you have. I to, know you sometimes you have to follow the ways. Like, what if the crew that lands on there was also right. created by Morbius? That to one's a little bit his guilt over killing everyone. That else. one would be a little bit harder to draw yeah. out because then you would start with Morbius walking out of his. Uh, house one day and seeing the ship landing and going, oh my god, I should have told these guys to get away from here as opposed to the way the story starts where we flipped out from their point of view sure. and coming uh-huh, into uh-huh. it. But, you know, this storyline is also very similar in the man trap, of uh, the Star Trek story. Right, Matthew? In yeah, that yeah. in that, um, what's her name? Altera? Yes. Uh, yeah. Altera it, in yes. this book, yeah. Is a construction. And in the man trap, isn't, isn't the wife the construction, Matthew? The man, the Star Trek premiere. Yeah, that's why I asked if, if you know, if there's some question of whether Annie Francis, who yeah, Nancy s- Nancy turns out to be the salt vampire. Yeah, uh, interestingly, and 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 here's why I, I, I kind of bring that into question because um, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry 
said that Forbidden Planet was one of my many inspirations for Star Trek. And to then look at the man trap and then see what's going on in this movie, it's like, whoa, that is you can start to see some parallels Mm -hmm. uh, there as as well. Zach, what do you think of these? uh, We are the creators of our own monsters. We are we are responsible for our own destruction. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's one that kind of falls within what we kind of look at and deal with typical, like, sci-fi problems. Like, generally, there's some deeper meaning to everything we're facing in a sci-fi movie. Um, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, we have a lot of social commentary, and frankly, a lot of the movies we watched. Uh, but then, you know, we get into more... Um, you know, Planet of the Apes kind of situations of like, what have we done mm-hmm. um, with it? So, I mean, not af- actually the same plot of uh, we are destroying ourselves. What kind of Planet of the Apes? Um, but it's an idea that I think fits well within a sci-fi setting. Does it seem weird that there's this big, deep psychological um, concept embedded in this film in the 1950s? No, no. It is at the very core of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. To have these big things, and, and and here's the important thing: we're talking about um, sci- science fiction came into its own in the 50s when it started being made into movies. But science fiction had actually been around for a long oh, time. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. So Jules Verne, yeah, writers had been kind of working at this stuff for a long time, and by the 50s, they had it pretty much down to nyuk nyuk a science. So they were they were able to writers in the in the fifties were pretty much able to pick and choose like the 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 the, the juiciest things, um, and for example, one thing that is very prominent in this is um, kind of a what hath man wrought right right, right, right why right. like is like he messed with alien technology well, and yeah, his yeah. punishment was to kill his people mm-hmm. kind of stuff is like that that kind of very. Uh, cautionary tale type I forget thing. what I forget what movie it was there's a great MST3K episode where they riff on it and one of the the end line of that movie was well, they meddled in God's domain you know they thought mm-hmm. that they could be mm-hmm. too above themselves sure. and brought upon their own destruction right um, it was Manos the Hands of Shame no I don't think it was that <laughs> one um, yeah I just think that that's I think it's interesting that you know, we look at um, the day the earth stood still and there's a real social commentary on you guys mm-hmm. better knock it off. Right. right. Uh, and then we look at the invasion of the body snatchers, which is more a cautionary tale of you really need to be awake and paying attention right. to what's going they, on they around you. They kind of have you. the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, messages. Right. One of them's like, guys, calm down. Yeah. And the other, and the other guys like, are like, we're uh, not freaking out yeah. enough. <laughs> run, run away. But then we get to this one and it's like. You guys need to go see your therapist right. and work yeah. out your own issues um, so that you're not screwing yourself over. You know, this one, other people. this one much more so than the other ones really seems like a fable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Where yeah. rather than it's like because what can is like because everything is so allegorical, mm-hmm. like I think much more so than the other. Like there's there's like, yes, there's a literal monster. Yes. There's like actual stuff that's happening like pew, pew, pew lasers. But the idea that is like. His own bad side is what is causing him problems is almost too broad, right? It's like <laughs> when you say like um, invasion of the body snatchers is about communism, it's like, okay, so basically people are like, don't be a communist yeah. or don't don't let communists into your house. Right. 
Forbidden Planet is a little too broad to just narrow it down to right. like... Right, exactly. I, I need to rethink my life. It's mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it doesn't give you like that direct thing. So it feels yeah. a lot more like um, a uh, stork that invites a fox over and the fox can't eat out of the plate that the stork eats out of mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I think is, is weird because it is such a big deep think. Right, it's right. a deep think thing, right, not right. a not a... Not a specific, not of a yeah. specific thing, which and, and that's why it holds up, right? And, but that's and the it, weird thing is that it was twenty years that this thing was basically buried, and we've seen that a lot with a lot of movies sure. on this list, where basically people had forgotten about it, no one paid any attention to it, and suddenly this small group of people, literally, um, saw this movie and were like, "Oh, this is awesome! Go check it out!" And then it, people were like, "Well, maybe we need to reevaluate this and pay mm-hmm. attention to it." And, oh, look at the deep themes that are going on in this. Why weren't people paying attention to this back then? Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. Box office tends to say that they weren't. And suddenly, not only is it great sci-fi, but it's also a great think film. Sure. Yeah, and really, that twist, which I didn't really think coming because... um, You don't expect it. You don't expect it at all because... Uh, this film was so heavy on, like, zip, boom, zip, Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You thought, okay, like, still pretty freaking awesome what they were able to pull off in the 50s uh but then to go into this territory really like i kind of like this film when it did that yeah 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 uh, special effects wise i think forbidden planet was like the jurassic park of its time like, it was it, certainly oh God, yeah. one of the i mean again let's build an entire ship let's yeah. blow a bunch of our mm-hmm. budget just on props let's paint a whole space scene on the wall the psych wall of this studio and put it all in there and then paint in I mean, when we talk about, we joke on bonus tracks, which is something that people can get over at our members.majorspoilers.com website, members.majorspoilers.com website. We talk about painted in blue lightning in the heyday of right, blue lightning right. in this day. Mm-hmm. We get to see painted on monsters oh, yeah. frame by oh, frame. Man, which is great. Yeah. It looks like, so good. Yeah. It looks, it looks like there's something about it. And I think it's, there is like love there. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. They went in and they said, let's make these special effects look good and they do and it's a cartoon monster they hired a disney animator yeah. to do it's it. a cartoon nice. monster and it moves like um like uh dumbo's mom when they're throwing the chains on her <laughs> um like it's it's that same kind of movement style um and it's like it looks like a cartoon but it looks good. Like there's yeah. something about it that just looks good. When when Robbie is zipping in his mm-hmm. little car through the horizon, mm-hmm. is like that is such a simple effect, but it looks good. Yeah, it's just somebody blowing air up on a bunch of dust yeah. and flying it, is it up. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant that they did that in a little tiny soundstage, and I'm guessing Santa Monica, Burbank, probably Burbank. Yeah. Um, what's funny Television is City. I, I wish you guys. I honestly wish you guys could have been here and watched this three year old experience this movie because he sees that dust blowing up and he's like got his hands to his mouth and he's just like oh dad what is this i don't want i don't want i'm like calm down it's okay because he's thinking this is somewhere foreign Mm -hmm. i see something that is unknown i should be scared of it did he he understand what it was that it was something come like zipping because then as soon as robbie pulls up he goes uh, some about I think he said it was like a giant truck it's a big Mm -hmm. truck and i was like (laughs) well yes it's a robot driving a truck and he's like oh okay and it was just really funny to see his because, I mean, the planet, I mean, the ship is coming in to land on the planet. And he's like, Dad, the ship, the spaceship is going to crash. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's it's going to land. Don't worry. It's OK. And it's just funny to see. I I remember when I was three 
watching the blob mm. for the first time, the, the Steve McQueen blob. The 58. Yeah. And it scared the crap out of me, but it imprinted on me. Sure. And I'm kind of hoping that this movie imprinted on him in some way that he remembers this as one of the first movies that he saw and this thrill that he got in. And maybe Zach got this, too, as an, at an older age of and maybe to Rodrigo and you, Matthew, mm-hmm. of there's this sense of wonderment that is okay. coming in movies. And we watch movies not to pick them apart and, and you know, throw away all the bad points and, and point out bad things about movies or the tropes about movies or even just these little techniques about movies. But we are here experiencing this this story that we don't know what's coming up next and we enjoy it because there's this imaginary story that is affecting us in some in some cases primal way of I'm scared of this right to a very psych now again a th- three-year-old is not going to get the monsters of the id right but well he, this he is, idea he's just not going to know it. right but this idea of there is something greater here beyond just some funny robot getting the the cook drunk well and right. and and it's uh it's the hallmark of a good movie that it can get even us yeah yeah critical thinking yeah. movie nerds. cynics yeah nerds um like involved in the movie mm-hmm. again right and there were moments in forbidden planet when i was not analyzing it when i was like what is happening is like look at my cool window shades again so many so many brilliant techniques Mm-hmm. Yeah. for these effects and and i think that's what because kids are merciless right yeah i remember showing like i loved loved uh the clash of the titans the mm-hmm. um Harryhausen. yeah mm-hmm. and i remember my brother watching it and my brother watched it when he was older than i was at the time when i first saw it and he like he just laughed me off the stage right? <laughs> like he was like these special effects are terrible compared to modern stuff but like there's something about Forbidden Planet, like that, where like those effects hold up, and I think like your son has seen enough stuff, yeah, yeah, that he would have been like, that doesn't look like anything. It's interesting too, because in the same weekend, now I don't know if he sat through all of it, but uh, Mason and my wife sat down to watch uh, Winter Soldier because they hadn't seen it yet, and Mason was begging to finally see it because it's the one Marvel movie he hasn't seen yet, right. mm-hmm. and I think the youngest sat there and and watched it at least for for a little bit because he was. He was making these connections of, oh, look, I've got a Captain America mask. That guy's got a Captain America mask. Right. He's got a shield like I've got a shield. Look at all those cool moves that Captain America is making without thinking about the social, again, the social commentary, right, the right. spy sure, thriller sure. that's going in there. He's just into it because, my God, that's Captain America. And I dress up like Captain America every day. <laughs> so he's got that thrill uh, going on with that. Life. And then, of course, he started throwing the shield around the house afterwards. Right. So. right. Well, you got to. Of course, it never returned to him. And I said, that's because you're not Captain America. That's right. You need to drink your milk. You need to drink your (laughs) super soldier serum. That's right. And, you know, in in my role as the unofficial ogler of the actresses, Anne Francis is so unnerving in this movie because she is so incredibly, like, surreal, beautiful. But there's something about her eyes that if you're watching this without knowing where it's going, you can kind of believe that – Maybe she is kind of a crazy she's, alien. She's thing. a robot. Yeah, there's something. There's something. Just it's. It's not. Those are not human eyes, man. There was. There I'm, was this really something about the everyone's relationship to that character that just really threw me off every time, and I don't think it was purposeful. 
No, because here's a bunch of guys oh, that have no. been, been locked up in a ship and suddenly here's something that they can all lust after. Right. And then that starts. So here are these guys that are lusting after this young girl. Mm-hmm. They have reasons to turn upon themselves. But as a protective father, mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, I want these guys away from my freaking daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Boom. Here comes a monster to attack them in the dark. Right. Which he should have wanted them away again from daughter because they were all a bunch of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they were. They were awful. I don't know how old she is. Do they say how old she's supposed to be? Because Anne Francis is like thirty. No, they don't. Movie. But you can, and and I and I haven't. But you can infer a maximum and kind of. She minimum was twenty. Age. She was twenty six when this movie came yeah. out. You can okay, you can so. infer an age if you sit down and listen to how. I like, think they the, said the it was twenty years. Between, yeah, I think it was so twenty years. She's she's at most twenty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I right. think she's supposed to be played like a day over 18. Yeah. Right. A day over whatever is legal in your state. Yeah. Or your planet. <laughs> or your planet. In 1956. Is, so age of consent is a little after all. lower, probably. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Planet, planets are forbidden is all. But Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was just weird. And like, again, it's like uh, Leslie Neal, Commander Adams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's like supposed to be the main character. I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen. This jerk sailor guy is going to hit on Anne Francis, and then he's going to come in and be like, go back to your post, and he's going to be like, I'm sorry, ma'am, and she's going to fall in love with him mm-hmm. because he is so nice, but he's like, no, like, he immediately just starts yelling at her. He's like, <laughs> oh, what are, you, what, what are you doing? He's like, I went and watched it back again last night with Aubrey, and he says, he's going on this rant about, what are you wearing? I have all these guys that have been locked in the ship for a year. Yeah. They're freaking horny. They'll hump a tree, and they like... Funny, I don't remember that line of well, No, it was okay. there. It was <laughs> he's paraphrasing. He's, oh, okay. And okay. There's one line he's like, I couldn't even blamed him if he would have, and just like points at her. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what are you inferring? Yeah, yeah. It's it's problematic. <laughs> um, Annie Francis, for those who don't know, um, played the character Honey West in the TV series years later, and that's a popular... <laughs> yeah, she did. Uh, very popular... Um, let me say, not... Not sci, not a spy kind of thing, but kind of yeah, like kind spy. Kind of an espionage, spy yeah, yeah, craft, yeah. James Bondy thing. So, um, of course, Forbidden Planet, as I already mentioned, has influenced uh, Star Trek. It influences a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. I, I keep getting the impression every time I see the monster from the Ed with its all sparkiness and everything because it's caught in the beams. Every time I see that, I can't stop thinking about the old arcade box of Space Invaders. With the yes. electric monster on the side throwing down yes. the thunderbolt. Hmm. And every time hmm. I see that, I'm like, well, that's like the monster from the id kind of thing. Yeah. Which is really weird. I, I thought that when I was watching that today, and I thought it was going to be one of those moments that I'd bring it up and you guys would say, oh, you're stupid. Yes, I had that thought. I'm trying to find, I mean, I'm not talking about the, the arcade graphic. I'm talking about the graphic oh, on the yeah, side yeah, on of the, the box. Paint it on the side of the mm-hmm. console. Yes, unless, cause, because if it's Space Invaders, unless that uh, <laughs> unless that monster was made of a lot of little squares. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, it it kind of was. It was it was 1982, and it did when they when they electrocuted him. He immediately sped up and changed direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh wow, I have never seen the art for yeah. that for the space. Pretty crazy. Well, no and here, why here he is with the missiles have. throwing him down. Oh man, have you ever been? I played a lot of arcade games. Uh, this, of course, was like 1978 or something, 79. Well, we go up, when we go up to Manitou Springs, they have a giant penny arcade outside, which they have all the old box stuff. So I've put a lot of those. 1978 Space yeah. Invaders first came out. Um, the other thing that 
took me years to try to figure out was going on was um, there's a show called Malcolm in the Middle. It was a show that came out in the mid 90s mm-hmm. um, about this very smart kid in a family of idiots starred uh, Brian Cranston was the father yeah. in this thing. And he was the middle child, although he was Frankie Muniz. Sometimes, yeah, Frankie Muniz. Uh, sometimes you would question whether he was truly the middle child because he had two older brothers and one younger brother. But he was very smart and he was in the advanced class and he didn't want to be one of the smart kids because when he went to school, his older brother and the other bullies at the school would pick on all the smart kids and call them Krell boys. And for years I was like, what the hell are they calling them? Krell what? Krell butt? What? I couldn't understand what they were calling them. I was like, why? What does a hair formula have to do with with this? Krell boys. And then I watched Forbidden Planet for the first time. It's like Krell technology. They were so advanced. I'm like, frickin' A, they were referencing Forbidden Planet in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. And what was even more amazing is that these kids who were the dumb kids who were the bullies were so aware of the Forbidden Planet. And they were smart enough to call the nerds Krell boys and not nerds. That that might have been a. Uh, I'm sure it's the writers just the saying, writers. "Want to be a nice little funny yeah, yeah. in," mm-hmm. but even the writers saying, "Hey, let's call them Krell boys and see how many people get that." Sure, was a risk because that was a thing that ran at least the first two seasons where they would call them Krell boys. You guys never seen? No, no, I've watched a lot of Malcolm in the Middle. Okay, yeah. you know where I'm coming from on that? No, I have no idea. Like, I that... never would have noticed that. I never noticed that. Yeah, I'm not doubting you. I never would have noticed that. Um, anything else that you guys want to talk about in this movie? Um, you know, I was thinking after I watched it, because it was so special effects heavy, I was like, how has this not been remade? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm thinking, because this is like J.J. Abrams, yeah. Michael Bay, yep. just go to freaking town on the special effects. And it would work, uh, probably more so for J.J. with like the, with the twist at the end instead of Michael Bay. Um... But that's like it just seems ripe for them to just like just do or just like rip it off. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you think this would work as a modern remake? Yeah. I, at or first, would it, I, or at would first it totally I didn't. Fail. But I think I think it. Totally oh yeah, would. absolutely. Because it does. It is like in the end, the the twist is pretty simple, mm-hmm. right? It's not some like it's something that they basically at the end say, "Oh, here's a twist," and you're like. Oh, it is the twist. That's great. Like, it's not that hard to get. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not super cerebral. Um, unlike Planet of the Apes, though, it's not in people's brains 100% of the time. It's not something oh, that gets yeah. referenced constantly. So the the writers wouldn't necessarily feel that pressure to change the universe the mm-hmm. way that they did, for example, with the uh, Tim Burton mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Um, if you look at the movie, a lot of it is just them going pew, pew, pew at things, right, right. which would be fine. Mm-hmm. Spaceships, monsters, a pretty girl, a cool robot. Yeah. Like, it's, you, it's you'll, just right. You'll get a... When uh, Morbius is describing the the old uh, way the planet was, whenever before, you get a nice flashback with yeah, a yeah. voiceover, and you get to do even bigger special effects with these a fancy Russell buildings. Russell Yeah. And there's lots of ways you could do it, right? You could do it modern style, like you could do it... Like everything is is updated to the way that we see the future now, mm-hmm. or you can do like a super retro kind of thing where it's like everything's like clean and fifties, but it still has a modern aesthetic. There's lots yeah. of ways mm-hmm. you could do it. They were. I was doing some research. They had started some pre production on a remake of this movie, but 
last thing I saw was like 2007 and they had not done anything with it. Like they had done pre-production on this movie, but then the building was destroyed by a mysterious force. (laughs) Everyone, everyone's limbs have been ripped apart and thrown all over the place. They were able to do a cast of one print that they found and it was just a giant claw. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you learn about this? Zach, what'd you learn from this movie? What'd I learn? Uh, that practical what? effects are still pretty freaking awesome. Practical effects are freaking <laughs> awesome. So, I I was like like okay, practical effects are awesome. Just when they went up and down those poles at the very beginning, I was like, yeah. that is so cool. So, yeah, that is pretty <laughs> cool. Um, you know, they use that in Star Trek though. If you watch, I think it's motion picture Wrath uh, of Khan when they're going up and down in engineering, they're riding on those. Things. Oh really? Um, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned practical effects because. Just released on DVD and and iTunes in the last couple of weeks is um, Live, Die, Repeat, mm-hmm. um, which is the Edge, re- of tomorrow. Edge, Edge of Tomorrow movie. And they've just released a behind-the-scenes video that shows how much of the, the effects that you saw in that movie were practical effects, not CGI effects. Really? And you should go and watch it. It's pretty cool. It's been interesting. Like all the explosion stuff really? around Tom Cruise, those are real explosions around Tom Cruise, not... <laughs> it's interesting because I remember watching Oblivion and then seeing a bunch of like practical effects. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if like, that's like Tom Cruise's like thing. No, probably not. I mean, probably yeah, not. But just, he's, was, you know, he's just been casting this. Just there is, seems to be a lot of people, and again, the, uh, the, John Favreau is one that used to be big on practical effects. But there seems to be this kind of resurgence of how yeah, can the, we make this pendulum, look more real? Mm-hmm. The pendulum is swinging back towards practical effects. Yeah, Ryan Johnson, who just got picked up to do Episode Eight for Star Wars, yeah. has said that. There's going to be more practical effects. Well, mm-hmm. and, and right, so like people uh, lost their mind on that little video that J.J. Abrams was, was like, "Oh, look, we're in the set of Star Wars," and then li- that like puppet monster walks behind yeah. them, and like people are like, "Oh my god, there's going to be actual puppets in Star Wars," which is not something that you think necessarily people would be excited <laughs> about. But there's been, there has always been this uh, sub contingent of nerds that hate CG, mm-hmm. and they've kind of convinced everyone that CG is not, or not everyone, but lots of people that CG is not necessarily the way to go. Obviously a mix is probably the best thing. Yeah. Well, Um, otherwise you end up with weird things. And especially like, for example, you want to talk about special effects that don't hold up. Um, If you go back and watch Spider-Man, the the Mm -hmm. first Tobey Maguire movie, when he's (laughs) running through those buildings, Mm -hmm. like he looks like a sack of potatoes. Like that does not look like a person. It's like Stretch Stretch Armstrong Mm -hmm. wearing a hoodie. That's Mm -hmm. that's what that looks like. The uh, speaking of Star Wars, there's been a lot of um, leaked photos over the last couple of weeks of someone flying over the Royal Air Force Base where they're or a former Royal Air Force Base over in England Mm -hmm. showing, you know, half model of full-size model of the millennium falcon yeah. and one of the x-wings on the planet if this was george lucas he'd just say oh we'll just composite that in later but here we're going through the effort of building these models that we don't know if people are even interacting with them but at least they're going to be real things yeah, so in the back. i remember the first thing i ever heard about episode seven it was like not very long after they announced it was coming i think they had said jj was attached it was i mean like two years ago mm-hmm. the first thing i ever heard was oh they already have their millennium falcon in a set in london probably like, they yeah. already like they already have it built yeah like, that's awesome yeah what else um i don't know that's probably about it I so really you said it. your wife watched it with you uh she watched the first uh, probably about twenty or thirty minutes, <laughs> you, and then we know you, like you suckered her by by the the question that she always asks: "Is this in black and white?" And you said, "No, no it's, it's in color." Uh, you failed to tell her it was nineteen fifty six. 
No, this is like I've had like I had a weird watching schedule. I watched yeah. just in like four different chunks. Oh, okay. Uh, no, she watched the beginning part of it with me, and then uh, like the last thirty minutes with it last night. Um, she enjoyed it. Uh, her first question was, "When was this? Was this made before we went into space? Because that's not what spaceships look like." Yeah, like, well, yeah, it was made in fifty six, which is great because it's like well, it was like at the end of the twentieth century, yeah. man makes it to space. <laughs> and I was like, actually, guys, man's gonna make it to space in exactly thirteen years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else? Nope. Did you like it? Yeah, I, I did. Did you yeah, like it? Was, it was good times. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it. There were things about it that were weird, but. Um, there were things about it that were very enjoyable. I like that composite tiger. Like I can mm-hmm. tell the tiger was composite, and I was. Yeah, like, if you yeah. watch, you can see that the mat of cool. where yeah, Annie yeah, Francis yeah. is walking. You see him just chunk, 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 chunk. Yep, yep. Which is like, I, for some reason, I really enjoyed that because I was like, see, see, this is the CG of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they didn't want to have an actual tiger there, which is smart yeah, that, because it probably would have torn her limb from limb. Yeah, yeah. That tiger jumping scene was pretty yeah, freaking it was awesome. Actually, that yeah, was awesome. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and. <laughs> Again, if you would have watched this in the theater, you wouldn't have seen the the mat following right, along right, yeah. right. because of the gamma differences between right. film and, and video. It's just funny that we see that now. Right. Same way the reason like why Lucas yeah, same reason fighter. why Lucas wiped them all out and why I want to see him back in the TIE Fighters is because it just looks like crap when you watch it on a home theater. So Yeah. All right, Zach, wrap us up. Okie dokie. Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by Major Spoilers VIP members around the world. Thank you for your support of Majorspoilers.com and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you'd like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com and sign up today. Thank you in advance. And head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page where you can give us any thoughts or ideas you had about any of our discussion or any other things you had want to say about uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, while you're there, click on the Amazon.com link. You can do all your shopping on Amazon. Uh, holiday season's coming up. You're going to want to buy a bunch of stuff from there. Uh, it's not going to cost you any extra when you do that, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to keep us going and doing shows like this week after week after week. So next week, we're not done with sci-fi movies yet. We have one more to wrap it up, and we will be talking War of the Worlds next week on Zach on Film. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 